Ladies and gentlemen, we're back again. It's Jason Joshua Factor Fantasy, and we are here to give you episode four in season three of The Mandalorian here today. Uh, last week, I went ahead and knocked out episode three. Chase is going to guide us here through episode four. Some really fun stuff. Uh, cool bits of action, a little bit of drama. It's a really enjoyable episode uh, that we got to take a look at. So we're going to dive into it. Chase is going to say a few things first before we get started, and then we'll jump right on in. Yeah, man, got some cool kind of action going on today. Got, you know, uh, some interesting appearances. <laughs> it's going to be a good time, man. Let, let's get the ball rolling. For sure, man. Uh, let you go ahead and take us away. Let's get the glasses in the air, and then we'll, we'll dive on in. Cool. Let's get it going. So the episode starts off. So the Mandalorian, this is really cool. They're, like, training on the beach side as the episode opens. So... You can see they're kind of definitely trying to get their self like prepared for whatever the next threat is. And Grogu is practicing moving rocks with the force uh, on the beach. And Din Djarin then tells Grogu that he needs to focus and learn with the other foundlings, which brings up a, that word foundlings brings up a big question for me later on that I'll bring up at the end of this episode. So. This is interesting as it pans out, like the rocks Grogu was playing with turn into crabs that are on the area. It kind of gives you one of those questions like maybe you never know kind of what's in the area, right? Well, one of the younger Creed members is criticizing Grogu of not wearing his helmet. And then Man Mando, Din Djarin, is saying he's too young to wear a helmet. And um, the young Mandalorian member and then Grogu challenge each other. Uh, they get they wind up challenging each other to this kind of like dual game in a way and this game involves it's almost like paintballs but it's actually darts that they're going to shoot at each other and the first person to land three darts on the other person wins and so the first uh first shot first two shots is actually the young mandalorian and he hits grogu with two first darts and then Din Djarin reminds Grogu that he's seen what he can do and to show him. And then out of nowhere, Grogu jumps in the air with the force, displaying his power again. I don't know where that came from, but I'll take it for what it is. And then he backflips and then shoots three direct darts at this kid, winning the game. Game over, Grogu wins. Then Bo-Katan asks Din Djarin, who taught him to do that? And Din Djarin says... Not me, and uh, just my kind of two cents here. I'm assuming that kind of means Luke, <laughs> but is that kind of what you got from that? Yeah, it looks like some Jedi stuff that we would see from the old movies, some d jumping over people, doing some backflips and shit, so yeah, I would assume. <laughs> kind of what we were talking about a few weeks ago, maybe he'll start with the lightning out of his hands like Palpatine <laughs> pretty soon. Anyways... So, all of a sudden, I called it the pterodactyl dinosaur dragon thing. <laughs> this, like, pterodactyl comes out of nowhere, snatches up that young Mandalorian kid, takes him with him. So, of course, you know, the Creed is going to go save this guy. So, they go after him in hot pursuit, but they eventually run out of fuel and realize they can't get to this area. So, they go back to regroup, and Bo-Katan tells the under other Mandalore that they know where the nest is um, so that they can go get him. So, well, and, like, here's the important part of that is everyone was using their jetpacks, and she was kind of smart enough to use her ship. <laughs> so that way she didn't run out of gas like they ran out of gas on their jetpacks. So she was able to tail this, like, 
I called it like Aerodactyl, like the Pokemon, man. I don't know. It was weird. They call it a raptor <laughs> in the show. <clears throat> I don't know. It didn't look like a raptor to me. Raptors don't fly, man. But in any event, she was able to tail that shit back to its lair with her ship and come back to where they were all, you know, their little outcropping past the cave with the covert kind of hangs out and tells them that that's how they were able to track it because she was able to follow all the way there since she didn't run out of fuel on her ship. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was, that was clear there. Yeah, and uh, this isn't important, but I said pterodactyl, like aerodactyl, but pterodactyl. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> whatever. I'm not a paleontologist. Well, no, man. I mean, you're right in terms of, like, what kind of creature uh, the, like, the, the scientists and archaeologists uncovered, like, in the dirt. It is a pterodactyl with a P and a T to start it, but I thought it looked more like the Pokemon aerodactyl uh from what I got to see from it there. Because, you know, like, pterodactyls have that, like, real pointed, long face. This thing had, like, a, like, I don't know, more of a dinosaur-looking face. So I, I thought it looked kind of like the, the Pokemon Aerodactyl that you could get from the fossil above uh, Pewter City in the gym and then go to Cinnabar oh, Island and bring that shit back to life. But uh, that's badass, man. Sorry, I thought I was just messing up names again. You know, no, like, no, you were, yeah, no, you got it right. No, pterodactyl is actually like the historically <laughs> accurate name of the, the the bird that flew back when the dinosaurs roamed the world. But I just thought it looked more like the other one. Like pterodactyls, like I said, more narrow, oval-shaped heads. This thing was like a blockhead, like a pit bull fucking head, dude. I don't know, man. <laughs> hey, one thing I gotta give like the writers of the Mandalorian credit like they always come up with these out of the box creatures so give them props man <laughs> so diving back in here so the head i called her the head mandalorian woman you know the one that make wears the helmet makes the armor what's her name so she's just referred to as the armorer so she's the armorer okay so the armorer she tells the group do not use blasters for the safety of the young Mandalorian. I won't use the word child because you know who we usually refer to as the child on this show. Anyways, but uh, the young Mandalorian and uh, she tells Grogu, come Grogu, if you wish to become a Mandalorian, there's much to attend to. And they get there and Grogu begins to learn about the forge and like the Mandalorian uh, lore that's going on here. And we see a flashback and it's a flashback of this Jedi that goes in and saves Grogu as is this i want to make sure i get it right is this like when they were trying to kill all the jedi that obi-wan was talking about in the obi-wan series like during that time when anakin went and slayed the young links is that when this moment kind of took place on the timeline i don't know if we know for sure right there is no real um like explanation yet. maybe that's something we're gonna find out more as i'm assuming when we follow along Grogu from here on out in the future seasons and episodes of The Mandalorian, where he's, we're going to probably get more and more flashbacks and probably get a better idea. But, yeah, from my, my understanding, at least from what I saw, I assumed, anyways, that it was... I don't know what it was, what's it called. Order 66? Is that, was that the name of the order that Palpatine gave to start killing all these Jedi? Um, right. right, yeah. But um, <clears throat> that's like kind of one of those uh, moments where... Who knows where in the timeline it fits? I think it makes the most sense 
is when these stormtroopers were trying to mow down these Jedi. And that's a question I've got for a little bit. Like, how come in some shows and episodes, stormtroopers are super badass and mow people down, and then in some, like, movies, they cannot do anything, and they're basically just standing props? I don't know, man. We'll figure that out later. But in any event, uh, they, these things start mowing down these Jedi, right? But So I, I, to answer your question, I think it's probably the, the timeline where Anakin went dark and, you know, to the temple and mowed down the children with his lightsabers while these troopers were killing the Jedi. I just don't have any historical facts to back it up. It's just what makes the most sense to me in my head. But yeah, man, I don't know. And I thought it was cool too because we do get an I we do get to see that other Jedi. And I wonder if he's gonna come more into play into the Mandalorian too. Uh, I thought that was like really really cool when we got to see. It. I think his name was like Kelleran Beck or something like that. But dude, he was like kind of cool, man. He kind of reminded me of like. Uh... I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, he reminded me kind of more like the older style of Jedi. Like when, uh, I guess, like in the early prequel episodes, it kind of gave me kind of that vibe. So it was pretty cool. I agree. But, Honestly, uh, that's a good point because he was he took that other lightsaber from that one. That I'm sure you're gonna go into in just a second. But when he like picked up them double lightsabers and them stormtroopers threw it at, he was like using them both at the same time. It really did kind of give me the vibes of when. Uh, Anakin was just doing two lightsabers back in the the prequels there. They, that was kind of sick. Uh, what were they fighting Count fucking Dooku or whatever, dude? Oh, yeah, <laughs> man, it was fucking cool. It was badass. No, and I, I yeah, I, I didn't have much for the battle because I try to kind of keep it efficient here. But, yeah, that's pretty much what I had is he comes in and rescues Grogu. You know, they get on that, like, land speeder and take off as everyone's following him. But at this point, like, the big point is then you know the armorer hands grogu what's called a rondel which is like his first real big piece of mandalorian armor so i think it's interesting what we were talking about a couple weeks ago like it makes me wonder like you kind of are starting to see a little bit now he's getting more of the mandalorian side of things so i wonder if he's going to start going down that path more instead as they learn about his past kind of like a little bit of both um so then we have Bo-Katan, Din Djarin, and the group get to the pterodactyl layer, like the, the mountain layer or whatever it is, right? And they climb up the top of this mountain and reach the nest. And you see like these baby pterodactyl dinosaurs. I don't know about you. It reminded me of that show, The Dinosaurs, that used to be on Disney Channel, like in the 90s. Do you remember that? Dude, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. You just unlocked like a core memory I forgot I had. Wow. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of the show that I saw. But I, as you said it, it clicked in my head exactly what you're talking about. And yes, these baby things looked exactly like that. That's a really good comparison. That's hilarious. <laughs> I wonder if like they put that on Disney Plus or not. I may go back and like <laughs> revisit that. I, I'm not point. sure it was Disney though. It could I, it could have been like yeah I don't know what's the other one the PBS or TBS or whatever. I don't know the mother kid one. It's, I'm not sure if it was Disney or not, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm gonna try looking that up while you continue going through. <laughs> Good stuff. So uh, anyway, so like the mama pterodactyl, the one that originally snatched up the young Mandalorian, uh, tries to feed the young Mandalorian to these baby pterodactyls. And then uh, the group flies over on their jetpack, shooting nets and grapples, trying to chase it down to save the kid. And then Jaren saves the day like Superman, flies straight at it and stabs it. 
and then grabs the young Mandalorian and saves him as the pterodactyl plummets into the ocean. Definitely gave me Viserion Season 7 Game of Thrones vibes at the lake. (laughs) What about you, man? I mean, the only difference is obviously that weird-looking creature ends up eating the, what they call a raptor, but we're calling this pterodactyl, aerodactyl, flying dinosaur-looking motherfucker. But uh, (laughs) I think it was the same. I I wasn't able to see the full body of the creature that ate it in the water, but it seemed like it was that same dinosaur turtle-looking thing from episode one of season three that we talked about a few weeks ago. So I wonder if that was the thing that ate it, because that was, remember that thing gave all the Mandalorians a hard time uh, during that fight. So I wonder if that's the thing that ended up eating that quote-unquote raptor that's what they refer to it as uh, right there. But, the, yeah, the whole falling into the water, I can see the similarities, except, you know, the ice king kind of threw the ice pick into Viserion, and he died before he hit the water, where this <laughs> thing just kind of was wrapped up with its wings and had nowhere else to go but down, and then, you know, got eaten by that other monster. And I think that was the whole point we're supposed to see, is, like, there's always a bigger monster, right? There's always a there's always a bigger yeah. fish in the sea, so to speak. So uh, that's the kind I of mods I got. Uh, Qui-Gon's quote from episode one, man. There's always a bigger fish. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Anyway, so they get back. Bo-Katan is honored for saving what they call the foundling. So another big point there. And Bo-Katan brings them uh, three of those baby pterodactyls and says they need training. So now we have some uh, symbolism of three, maybe. Do we have some symbolism of three (laughs) going on? We had some... You know, three dragons for Danny, and now we got some three pterodactyls for Din Djarin. Like, you never know, man. You never know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, back to the real point here. So, Bo-Katan asks if she can wear the armor with the Night Owl and the Mythosaur. And uh, the lead Mandalorian, the armorer, she says the Mythosaur is common with all Mandalorians and that it's acceptable to wear. And I have a few little quotes here. Bo-Katan says, What if I told you that I saw one? And the armorer says, I would say you are very lucky. It's a noble vision. And then Bo-Katan says, No, I mean a real one beneath the living waters on Mandalore. And the armorer says, If you choose to walk the way of the Mandalore, you will see many things. And Bo-Katan says, But it was real. And the armorer says, This is the way. And the episode ends. What do you think about the episode, man? What are your takeaways? Yeah, it was a cool episode. It had it, I don't want to say it was more a subplot, but I think it was cool because it drew a level of camaraderie amongst the Mandalorians. I still think that the covert there wasn't really sure of what to make a Bo-Katan still. I mean, the previous episode that we went over last week, they welcomed her in because she also bathed in living waters and did not remove her helmet since but you know she's been off the off of the way so to speak for so long that i think this really helped solidify her position with that covert when she went in and helped and because without her probably would have ended a lot worse that she wouldn't have had the ship there wouldn't have been able to track it to its lair and i think one important part too that it's important to discuss is that child that was taken the 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 foundling mandalorian in training was paz vizsla's son and paz vizsla is you know outside of the armorer bo-katan din jarn probably the next in line in terms of seniority and ability so paz vizsla uh, is actually really important in the mandalorian 
uh, community. And that was his direct son. And, and, and it's kind of funny because this is exactly why I think people say when, you know, if your family member's in the hospital and it's critical, they don't want you in there because you make things worse more oftentimes than not because you're so close to the situation. And that's exactly what happened when they climbed up this mountaintop to the lair. He goes, they, they see the heat source and he goes running right towards it and it ends up being those three baby looking things. And then the real one, the big mama comes in and dangles the the foundling Mandalorian underneath its teeth, almost like a bird would with worms to feed its baby children. And it ended up, like I said, ended up ending all right. But, you know, again, without Bo-Katan, it probably wouldn't have ended all right. So I think this is this episode really helped us, or at least helped her, uh, ha- like show her worth and, and where she stands in this covert's, uh, like, I don't want to say hierarchy, but at least showed her worth in that like, they can now really accept the fact that she's one of them, right? And I think that actually goes into play a lot, especially uh, not next week, but the week after that, you know, I would say in episode uh, six, that plays a, like a further part into what, to what Bo-Katan actually means to the Mandalorian, right? So uh, now to, in terms of like the takeaways of the episode of what I liked about it, I really did enjoy the flashbacks of Grogu's past because I was wondering when his backstory was going to come into play and it would be really nice to get an idea of the years and the timeline kind of the earlier questions we were just talking about a few minutes ago about where this fell into the timeline because that would help us understand exactly how old Grogu is I know from season one they were saying he was roughly 50 years old but they don't age at the same rate as other species do but that would help us really kind of pinpoint a few things I read that's just the timeline of Star Wars in general never seems to be wildly clear. Like we can get like this the eras and stuff and have an idea, but chronologically, if you try to place it, you know how we do in in standard life, like you know the year two thousand twenty three, two thousand twenty two, and whatever you guys get the point. But it'd be nice. I, I would like a little bit of chronological order in, in actual years, so that way we can kind of look back at it and, and piece things together. But I did like that they were starting to bring in. His backstory, and I really want—I really want to know about this Jedi, Keller and Beck. I think he's going to be a really important key piece to this series going forward. Ideally, we're going to start seeing more and more Jedi who I don't want to say have gone into exile, but maybe who have had to be in hiding since the Empire was at its height of power and now are able to start coming back little by little. It's just going to be nice to see more and more Jedi able to, to kind of come to the forefront. And I don't know if anything's going to come of it. Maybe we'll get like a... Because it seems that spinoff series are all the rage these days. Maybe we'll get uh, a show from this called The Exiled Jedis and we'll start following around and seeing different Jedi and what they've been doing during the time of the Empire's height of power and all that. But uh, in any event, it was a good episode Overall, there were some things that were a little bit interesting. Uh, you know, we—I know you kind of briefly touched on the whole Grogu flying around that place like he's a full-fledged Jedi, doing backflips at three foot tall, and you know, landing some darts within a hair's breadth of each other. So that was kind of fun to see. And you know, I also think that was important to notate too when they were talking about like the Foundlings here, and we'll discuss this at length in just a bit because I've got a feeling I know what some of your questions are going to be, but. Uh, how they were trying to tell the foundling Mandalorian, Paz Vesla's son, that, listen, don't speak if you don't know, because 
Din Djarin was telling him that Grogu was too young, not just to wear the helmet in terms of the size, but too young to speak the creed. So to become a Mandalorian, you need to understand what you're saying and understand that you're giving up part of your life to follow this this culture. You know, that's why they have the whole ceremony and you repeat the words after and all of that. So that was a, a part where Din Djarin was saying that he's too young to speak the creed. So that's another a big part of it there, too. And so we're going to definitely see, I think, uh, Grogu definitely tends to show me that, that he's going to follow the Mandalorian path, to at least to an extent. And it's going to bring in other questions to this, to like, what extent is it going to be one of them who's like full-blown, follows the way? But it, it's hard to talk about it here, seeing how we know what happens in a, in a few episodes of... I, I, just let's just suffice it to say, changes seem to be are going to be made to how strict rules are enforced for the Mandalorian. And I'll just say that for now. But overall, takeaways for the episode, I enjoyed it. It was one of the shorter ones. It was a little over half an hour. It was uh, brief, succinct, to the point, good action. Get to a little back of backstory from Grogu. I think that's going to play a part going forward. We get to see where Bo-Katan fits in with this covert. So overall, I enjoyed it. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, no, I uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, it definitely was a little bit more of a filler episode. I did like the game they played at the beginning. It kind of reminded me of The Witcher Season 2 where, you know, he played the game with knives. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, The Witcher, you know, that'll be coming up pretty soon for us. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was cool the way they played the game. It was definitely action-packed. That was cool. They definitely got to the point, I think, kind of the point was they wanted to bring up, like, the mythosaur. Like, she clearly, I guess, saw what she thinks she saw now. Uh, So I thought it was good. I mean, you know, I didn't have any problems with it, really. I still kind of wonder, like, why they brought up what they did last episode with the doctor and stuff. Like, why chose to bring up that then? Uh, But I thought it was a good episode. It was was good overall. Uh, What debates did you have for the day? Hmm. It's tough because I don't necessarily consider it a debate more so than an open discussion, and just seeing your opinions and seeing if I agree with what where your your thought track is going to go here. But do you think that we are going to see going forward into this series? Following, obviously, we're going to get some level of, of backstory. But do you think we're going to see? a full circle of survivors from let's just for the sake of argument and very very clear that this could be incorrect timing the time not might not match here but just for argument's sake for where we are here today and what we're seeing do you think that we're going to see some level of full circle of the survivors from order 66 come come more to the forefront and kind of dive in and dive out of different Series such as you know the the um, the Mandalorian, the Ahsoka Tano series that's coming out. The uh, what what was the other one there? Um, the Boba Fett series. Do you think we're gonna start seeing some? I don't want to call them cameos because they're not. The cameos are people that you recognize that dump, jump into different things and you're like oh i recognize that that's a cool cameo i'm more of so like maybe introductions maybe that's a better one do you think we're going to see like many introductions of people who survived this order that we haven't really heard about before are they going to kind of dive in and dive out and you think we're going to get a a full picture by the time the mandalorian's done of 
the timeline, so to speak, from when the Empire fell to where this series ends? I mean, we could. Um, I mean, it's definitely possible. I kind of feel like you're just milking the cash money at that point if we start seeing all these different Jedi coming in, because I feel like this show, me personally, this is just my personal thought, I feel like this should be more about the Mandalorians. Like, our leads here, like, we always talk about, like, Marvel right now, they really kind of don't have, like, a face. I feel like the face of the Star Wars franchise right now, what's carried them out of that, I don't want to call it a rut, because, like, the movies, like, did make a lot of money, but, like, that god-awful throw-together of the last, like, trilogy, trying to put it together from the final two... Like, I feel like it's the Mandalorian that has carried it where it is right now. Otherwise, it would have kind of fallen into a slump, and maybe they wouldn't know what they were doing. Like, I feel like the two faces, the three faces, you can honestly say three faces, that we have right now are, of course, you know, got Din Djarin, Mando, you got Bo-Katan, and then, of course, Grogu kind of became a face when no one really expected it, but he is a face now. Like, I feel like those three have carried the Star Wars franchise right now, so I thought it was cool what they did with Ahsoka. I thought it was really cool and kind of giving them their own spinoff, but I feel like you would have to go, like, into... I mean, I guess you could do a spinoff, but I feel like the Jedis kind of already have their faces set already. Like, when you think Jedi right now, like, who do I think? Luke Skywalker, just me personally. Or I think Obi-Wan, and I think Darth Vader or Anakin. And I feel like you kind of had that with the Obi-Wan series that we just did. That or you could do, like, an Obi-Wan season two. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many Jedis. Like, you haven't really explored too much into this other kind of side of things. And you can bring other Jedis in, but... I feel like if you're just bringing in, if you just start bringing in Jedi's here and there and all over the place, it kind of deters away from the whole point of what this kind of like story was and the writing that's in that. Um, I mean, I feel like because there's only so much the Mandalorian Creed can do. I mean, Jedi's are Jedi's. Like, let's be real here. You put Din Djarin up against Luke Skywalker. I'm sorry, but Luke Skywalker is going to whip his ass. Like, it's just, like, nothing you can really compare with that. So, I don't know. I feel like they could. Like, I mean, any company, you know, that's a good idea because, you know, Star Wars is cash money, like, just sitting there. Star Wars is like Harry Potter, you know. Like, you could put some fantastic beast shit, and it's still going to make money to a degree. (laughs) Like, you see what I'm just saying, you know, but that doesn't mean it's Harry Potter, you know so you can just throw some shit in there and i'm sure people will watch it and pay money because it's got lightsabers and people using the force but i feel like you already have your faces of jedi there so if we just start bringing random people like i don't know what a good series that develops like ahsoka the difference with ahsoka is ahsoka was already written into the lore before if you even looking into the original prequels you still saw actually glimpses of Ahsoka there. Like, she was actually in the ship. They get shot down at one point. You know, she's in, like, the Clone War series. Of course, we don't cover that here, but, like, people already knew about her before. It's not like we just took random Jedi into place. So, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not saying maybe that's the right way to go. That's just my thoughts. What are your thoughts? I think that... 
I don't think that when you say random appearances, it's necessarily accurate just because Keller and Beck is also already written into the lore and other ones too. I'm talking about the ones that are just aren't as well known as the ones you listed out. Like when you think Jedi, those the big ones that you mentioned, those are what no, normally what most people think of. The only about the other ones that are written into the lore that you don't think of that, like these ambiguous characters that you can bring in. And what I've noticed that Star Wars does in a really cool way is they seem to incorporate all of their works. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. their animated series. I'm talking about video games. I'm talking about you know the, the regular you know, big movies, the feature films. They seem to do a really great job at incorporating all pieces of Star Wars works. So that when I say these people making, like coming in and making random appearances and, and following the Jedi that might have survived Order 66, there's not that many of them. And all the ones that did survive are somewhat integral and important to the Lord, but you just don't think of them because they're not the big names that come to mind when you think of Jedi. So I, I just kind of disagree on that end, and I think it'd be kind of cool to see where the people you don't think about too often come into play and how so like you know in what ways do they come in on the mandalorian side do they come in uh future jedi side do they come in maybe some of them turn bad for the first order who knows man like i just i think that there's a lot to be uh unpacked and it could be a lot of fun to see the, the the following of what has been going on during the time periods of of all this huge gaps between different eras so to speak of, of star wars I mean, it could be. I mean, it makes sense. Um, So for one of the debates I had today, which you probably had this question too, the word foundling. So now we're starting to see the word foundling isn't applying just to Grogu. Is that what they're calling just any young person that needs to be more developed? And do you think we'll ever see uh, Grogu's like species or if there's more of them out there because clearly we know yoda existed and i mean obviously he comes from somewhere will we ever find out what he's actually called as well as the second part of that and the third part do you think we'll ever find his species in this series Ooh, in this series that's a good question because you know this tends to follow the mandalorian specifically obviously by the title of the of the show but if they do a separate series that follows maybe Grogu and his path and what maybe what he's been doing in the meantime, or maybe if he ends up going out on his own, maybe he goes through all of these Mandalorian trials and becomes a full-fledged Mandalorian uh, in his own right with his species, he can start going on trips and missions and stuff. And maybe he does come across some of his own species. So I just don't know that it happens in the Mandalorian specifically. Now, in terms of the term foundling, it seems to me, because I know when we first started our show, Chasing Josh Factor Fantasy in Season 1, the Mandalorian Season 1 was one of the first things that we covered, and we were talking about like foundlings as if it was specific to Grogu species, and it seems now we're, we've got a little bit of enlightenment, and, it's, and I would say that the term foundling would represent any apprentice Mandalorian who's looking to take the creed but is not quite there yet. That's kind of what I think now, hearing the term foundling as it's referred to not just Grogu, but Paz Vizsla's son, and also the little baby raptors that they brought in. They called them foundlings too. So that's kind of what I, I've come to believe. And I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you, got, you, you found a different meaning to it. But 
that's what it just seemed from from this episode in the past two or three episodes as well. I don't know. Did you kind of get that same that 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 thought process, or did you think something different? What what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, that that's exactly what I thought, and that's what surprised me at first because I was thinking they were referring the term foundling to whatever Grogu's species was that they referred to as, and then clearly we know now from like these other episodes that that's not exactly the case yeah man what about you said that was one of your debates did you have a secondary one as well yeah well i was waiting for you to answer the second and third uh part there as far as like um do you think sorry well you basically answered that third part but what i was wanting to know as well is like do you think there's more of them out there for just Grogu? Like, we know Yoda passed, well, Yoda's technically still alive in this timeline. Are there others of them out there, or do you think it's just them too? There's probably some out there. I don't know if they have a home planet similar to Mandalore for the Mandalorians that got massacred similarly by the Empire. I just don't know how many... Star Wars seems to have this really cool thing where they make you believe there's only one of something left and then somewhere down the line there tends to be another thing found and it's fun and they can capitalize on it. So I'm going to assume there may be, you know, three or four other ones. I don't know if there's going to be a whole planet full of them, but I would I would assume that there is at least a few others somewhere and like I said, I don't know if they're going to find these other members of the species in this series specifically but like when I was mentioning if Grogu becomes a full-fledged Mandalorian or acting as a Mandalorian and he ends up going on his own missions I wouldn't be surprised if during his travels and adventures he comes across other members of the species so that that's the way I think about it yeah and then my last debate for the day is clearly we know Bo-Katan saw a mythosaur of what she thinks it was. Going back to what your question was a few weeks ago, clearly I'm assuming she did see what she did, or do you think it's still an illusion based on what the armorer's response was? Well, I never said it was an illusion like like directly. I said I could. I think is you could have interpreted it a few ways. You know, and I said they, they, uh, we don't want to just make assumptions on it. So it was like uh, a theory, but not necessarily what I thought. I definitely made it pretty clear that I thought what she saw was real. I just thought that it's something we shouldn't just dismiss, that it could have been, you know, an illusion on that. But uh, what I was always curious about was, like, why didn't she talk to Din Djarin about it specifically? I don't know if she didn't have, like, a level of trust to him, but she felt pretty comfortable talking to the armorer about it. Uh, you know, she wanted the whole sigil painted on not painted on but like engraved on her new shoulder plate that she lost in the battle with the uh you know what they call the raptor thing but what's kind of interesting is this whole conversation with the armor leads to something really unprecedented in the mandalorian culture which we'll talk about in a in a, in a week or so but i thought that this may be a turning point for the armor since she thought I, I believe the armor only thought that they could think of it as a legend type of deal and you know 
Bo-Katan and Din Djarin went to the Living Waters, right? And she was able to prove, the armor was able to prove that Din Djarin did, in fact, go to Living Waters because she put the little file into her little basin and it glowed blue. So she's like, yeah, he's telling the truth. So maybe in her mind, she's like, well, they haven't lied to me. So this maybe she did see this thing. And I think that the wheels are starting to turn for her now. But the whole conversation about the Mythosaur is, is interesting because... I just, like I said, I don't understand why Bo-Katan felt so comfortable talking to the armor about it. Who the armor, as far as, she's the whole, like, what I call, like, the hammer of banging the Mandalorian Creed on people's heads, you know? She's the one that kept telling Din Djarin he's an apostate until he goes in living waters. He can't be a Mandalorian. She's the one that was saying, yeah, no, the Bo-Katan Kreese and her outlaw Mandalorians aren't a part of this whole thing. She's been the one that's been so strict in following the, the quote-unquote, the way and now I think this is the turning point. If she's starting to see that there, there may be other ways of thinking, and if this legendary creature showed itself to Bo-Katan, that maybe we've got to start looking at things a bit differently. So I definitely think it was an, an important piece, an important part of the episode, and because I, th- I think it changes the Mandalorians going forward. And, and then we're going to see that actually, even in this season alone, how that changes a bit. But yeah, dude, the, the, the whole Mythosaur thing is, is definitely something that she saw in, in my opinion. I don't know if at one point they're going to end up going back to the planet Mandalore and she's going to try showing the rest of them, this Mythosaur and not, not be able to find it. I could see that kind of happening. And then maybe there's some questions that'll come into play there. And then finally it'll reveal itself, you know, years down the road. I don't know, man. That's just kind of what I, what I see happening, so to speak. But uh, I don't know if that really answered your question on, you know, do I think she saw what she saw? That, that direct answer is yes. But now I wanted to kind of expand on what I think that means for the series and for the Mandalorian culture moving forward uh, going into the future of the show. Yeah, uh, and I wasn't trying to say, like, oh, to make you say, like, oh, she saw this. Because actually my point really was... I still don't know if she truly saw what she saw because if those waters are mystical, technically they could provide illusions. Now, I guess the show is trying just to now say, make us believe that is what's down there. But I thought it brought up a really good point a couple weeks ago because based on like the armor's response, like, I mean, she, I mean, you never know. I mean, there could be more to these waters than we actually know now. For the part of your question, like, why didn't she tell Din Djarin? I don't think she actually trusts Din Djarin, honestly. I mean, this makes me think, remember when, you know, Grogu went back to go get her to rescue him in episode two, and she was like, why are you here? Not knowing it was Grogu on the ship, not Din Djarin. So I think there's a, a little bit of broken trust there for a minute, and that's probably why she didn't tell him. But it brings up a good point. I would love to know, like, even if they did this in, like, uh, a filler episode or something, I would love to know somewhat of, like, the backstory of the armorer. Like, how she became the armorer. Like, what the requirements are to be an armorer. Because, obviously, these people in the creeds think a lot of this person. So, this person, I don't know if you would call it, like, the lead Mandalore or whoever like i would love to know like the ranks of the mandalore and how they got there and like what put them in those places because clearly there is a level of respect but yeah man any uh thing you want to say to close this out today any closing thoughts 
Yeah, I want to question why, because I, I tend to agree with you in the fact that I don't believe Bo-Katan trusts Din Djarin. I just don't know why, because how the heck is she going to feel comfortable speaking to the armorer when her and Din Djarin have been on multiple, what I, I don't want to call them adventures, but that's the best way I could put them. They've been on multiple uh, combat, uh, you know, missions. There we go, missions. They've been on multiple missions together, right? Like when, when Din Djarin first met these other Mandalorians on the on the whole thing, she they saved Grogu from the little, I don't know if they were pirates or whatever, but remember they had the ship and they put Grogu's mm-hmm. thing down and that one creature almost ate it and, and put a big dent into his little space capsule he always flies around in. So they had to save him there. They went and took on Moff Gideon together on the ship. They've done so many things together. And then they went to uh, the, the the planet Mandalore together in the living waters. Bo-Katan saved him. So they have all these interactions together and they've always kind of come out on top, normally together as a unit in a way. Not saying that they're like partners in crime, but they never really seem to be on opposite ends of anything outside of the fact that and this is going to come up to play in two weeks about like this whole dark saber thing that Din Djarin has it and Bo-Katan wants it. But I just I don't get why someone that you've put your life on the line with a few times doesn't doesn't receive your respect or trust, but someone you just met because of their station it gets it. That's the thing I'm curious about. Like why why do you believe she doesn't trust him after all of their you know, time that they spent together putting each other's lives on the line for a common goal. The only thing I can come up with for that is if you look back in season two, remember when Bo-Katan and her group showed up and they didn't have their helmets because she walks like that other new generation of kind of Mandalore and which I, you know, my boy Oprah and Motel, he's been, He's been breaking the rules now. Oh, Oprah and Motel? What the heck? He stays at the Motel Hotel Holiday Inn. <laughs> like Oprah and Martel. <laughs> My fucking boy, man. Murdered her. Raped her. Killed her children. <laughs> Oprah. Could you imagine that going in the Oprah and Motel? At the Hotel Motel Oprah's Inn. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Anyways, man. Back to what I was saying. Fuck yeah, Oberyn Martell has been breaking the rules now. He's been a little... We knew he was Trixie, and we knew he was false. <laughs> and originally, when he met Bo-Katan, to my point here, Bo-Katan and that group, they didn't follow the old traditional ways. So they would just take their helmets off. Like, they didn't really go by those old rules. Kind of more adopted to the new style, right? As people grow throughout the years and become more developed and more adapting uh but he still kind of was definitely more the old traditional style and he didn't take his helmet off until until he was a little tricksy and showed Grogu his real face which brought us to now he had to bathe in the mines he's diving in which brings in the mythosaurus so luckily he had to go bathe and all this shit but i think because of that like that original perception where he was very standoffish of them that's the only only idea i can come up with with why maybe she doesn't trust him a little bit is because of that initial first thing initial first um connection they had 
But I'll say, yeah, they've been through a lot of shit together. But I almost feel like more, and not to bring up someone in the past that got written out of the show, but I feel like more of Cara Dune and, and him had more of a trust thing going on after all the stuff they went through. And I don't know, man. I just feel like she's kind of a little bit more, a little bit more independent, I guess is the word. Like, she would just do things herself. Like, there's a level of respect there. So she went to rescue him. But I can't honestly, I don't honestly have an answer for your question. Yeah, because if we think about it that way, if we just think because of their first interaction that she's a little leery to trust him, why the hell would she trust the armor? The armor is worse. The armor is like, the, like <laughs> when I say worse, I mean more of hammering the the traditional creed over the head of, the, you know, this is the way that we're going to follow. This is the path that we walk. Like, the armor is the one that is the head of all of this, you know. So why the hell would she trust the armor with this information in, if that was the case? If the case is the fact that she doesn't trust Din because she doesn't think that he uh, views her as a, a, a true Mandalorian or whatever the thought, intrusive thoughts she may be having about the way Din Djarin views her... Why the hell would that make it any better for the, the armor? That don't make any damn sense because armor is, is going to think that, but worse. So that, like I said, she's the one that tried to exile Din Djarin from the Mandalorians. I'd like, yeah, you got to go bathe in those own waters. You're never going to be one of us again. Imagine <laughs> if that planet was as poisoned and as fucked up as originally thought, and, man, and Din Djarin could never go to those waters. She would have, like, this whole damn series would have been <laughs> over because we would have nothing to follow. He'd, be, he'd basically be like, uh, Boba Fett and just a bounty hunter traveling the world, like you know, trying to do some missions for some credits. But you know, that, that's what I'm saying, dude. Like, I just, I think she, she that's not so, if that was your concern. She's not someone you're gonna go to if you have that concern because she's worse. I don't know, yeah. man. Hey, two points on that because that made me think of something. So first thing is, do you think Bo-Katan might not trust him because how he wields the dark saber and feels like maybe he could you know ride the mythosaur and he'd be in control of the mandalorian where she secretly wanted that and the other part is you know for damn well that armor did not think that fucking planet was inhabitable that was the whole goal you know when she he came back she was like fuck i should have thought of something crazier i should have told your ass to go over to fucking uh wherever the fuck that planet was where Anakin and Obi-Wan were and like dive in the lava there and <laughs> come back, okay? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. But that's my question to you. Do you think that's why? Maybe because she feels like maybe he could tame this thing since he's taken the dark saber and done all these things that no one else has done and maybe he'd be the big honcho out of all of these people. Yeah, uh, it's possible. That's something that makes at least a little bit more sense in terms of why she wouldn't trust him with this knowledge. Because maybe if he looked more into the lore and realized the holder of the Darksaber would lead all Mandalorian. And if this mythosaur would present itself to him, that he would have that on it as well and everyone would view him as the true leader of their people then yeah then that would make a little bit more sense i guess that 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 is got it's got to be the answer it's got to be the answer because this whole dark saber bullshit you know obviously and we're going to talk about this in future episodes here but i think you're right in terms of the dark saber plays a part into why maybe she is 
I don't want to say standoffish, but doesn't trust Din Djarin because uh, maybe he doesn't even know the possibilities of. You know, I think that if he really pushed for it. I just don't think he wants it. Right? Let's think of like Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. You're my queen, Danny. So like, I just I really think that it's one of those things. And Din Djarin doesn't really want to be the leader of the Mandalorians, but if he really pushed for it, he likely could be. He's obviously very skilled in combat. He's done a bunch of stuff that we haven't seen these other Mandalorians do. He's found another species of, of Jedi, kind of, because I don't know. If, I, I don't want to say that species, but Grogu is showing Jedi potential at the very least. And and Grogu seems to have been attached to Din Djarin here and, and views him as some sort of uh, father figure. And then on top of that, too, he was able to defeat Moff Gideon, so now he holds a Darksaber. So if Din Djarin really pushed for it, I believe that he would have a good argument to be the leader of the Mandalorians. And I think that's probably what makes uh, Bo-Katan uncomfortable, very similarly to the Game of Thrones, where that's kind of what made Danny uncomfortable with Jon, is that most people wanted Jon to be the king and to take to take the reins. And Dan, that's almost... I mean, that's not the reason why, but it's definitely one of the reasons why Danny went mad at the end. You know, she never felt comfortable in her station because she realized that other people, uh, the, the, the people she was planning on ruling, not all of them supported her claim. They might support John's. And maybe that's exactly what's happening here, where Bo-Katan's worried that if it came down to it, they may support Din Djarin's claim to lead the Mandalorians versus her own. Uh, so that's, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's probably what makes the most amount of sense. But... Yeah, that, those are my thoughts on that. Just one more thing. Uh, this is just kind of a, a funny, curious... Because you were making fun of how uh, Harry Potter does these spin-off like, movies that are <laughs> similar to the Fantastic Beast. Do you think that... Oh, yeah, with how many spin-off shows have been coming out, do you think we ever get a show that's just based around the different types of creatures in the Star Wars universe? You know, just... just I'm not necessarily feature films but just you know obviously I would have no idea what you would title it but maybe like the creatures of the Star Wars universe and it just has maybe someone similar to uh, a researcher or a scientist just going around and discovering new creatures or you know uh, finding ones that we've already seen and you know recording and studying their behaviors and stuff. Do you, ever, do you think we ever see anything like that? Or do you think that we're just going to kind of get these creatures uh, popping up randomly as they think of them in different episodes? <laughs> is that a live action Pokemon? I'm pretty sure that's what that is. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we could. I mean, here's the thing. Like, The Mandalorian has really launched... Star Wars, uh, like, keep in mind, like, Star Wars has always been, arguably, you can argue, like, honestly, one of the biggest franchises to ever come. But it's propelled it to, like, this whole nother faction, I would say, with all these different spinoffs and stuff now, because The Mandalorian's been successful. The Mandalorian was the first real Star Wars show on Disney+. Plus. Like, and that's what's wild. Now you think about all this other shit they have going on, and it's because of this one thing. So, I mean, we very well could. I just don't really know what the point of that would be. It'd be like a video game, almost. Like, I feel like that's where you would have to bring in, like, the Jedi, right? Then you bring in, like, these other Jedi 
from the beginning that like are part of the lore <laughs> and then they start yeah you know you have the scientists that study them but then you have the jedi it's like nah that's against that's against the republic and so then they cut him down <laughs> that's i guess that's what happened i don't fucking know man i feel like you could uh i just feel like more that's part of more of like a mandalorian thing right like what's interesting is you think about star wars people forget it was a lot like game of thrones politics wise like politics in space like you had like the republic that was like breaking off this new area from the empire which was like yeah every, nothing wrong with little order now i've always said that nothing wrong with little world that's why i love the sith nothing wrong with little order in your life <laughs> and, but uh i mean now that we're bringing creatures in i mean you could you know what would be badass to see with those creatures if you do like a knights of the old republic and then just release these on the fucking earth and then you have all these jedis running rampant right and then that's how the politics gets set up and then you fight the monsters that's my opinion so if you're gonna do that shit make a knights of the old republic it would be fucking sick I say go for it, man. Why not? Who, who, nothing wrong with a little extra cash. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a good point in terms of it would just be extra cash, right? I don't think anyone would take the series seriously at all. But it kind of tends to be what, what's what's happening. We're just kind of throwing off stuff to see because obviously everyone thinks differently. Everyone who is a fan of any form of fictional work, they like different aspects of it. So stuff that I like is different than the stuff Chase likes. And that's very apparent because, you know, we're talking about a, a piece of work, a piece of fantasy work like Harry Potter, for example. You know, when we were going through these books, there were parts where he wanted to take that I didn't give a fuck about. And then there was parts that I wanted to take that he didn't give a fuck about. So, you know, maybe you're going to have your little niche group of individuals who are like, yeah, man, we love these creatures. We got to see these things. You know, we got to figure out how they were created. You know, were they genetically created? Are they biologically created? Where do we find them? What planets are they on? Like, you could do so many things with it. It's just like, like I, we were talking about, we said it a few times, that it is wildly impressive that it seems... Every so often, they create brand new creatures that have never been seen before in any other sort of deal, and it's kind of cool, you know. So I, I don't know. It's just one of those things where, you know, especially with this specific episode, we we saw the pterodactyl raptor flying dinosaur thingy with its little babies. And by the way, I told Chase I was gonna look this up, and I did. And the show is called Dinosaurs, and it ran from 1991 through 1994. So uh, yeah. you know that, that I, that's. You know, to backtrack a little bit, like a, you know, probably about thirty minutes ago or so. But uh, point being is that it's definitely something that I feel some people would would watch, and on top of that, it would generate some level of cash revenue for the series. The one caveat is, you know, with these creatures, it probably takes a lot of CGI and technology to create. So would the budget for creating these creatures outweigh the revenue the series generated so that is the big question you know i like we said most people if it's something has a star wars name attached to it they're probably going to watch it but it's not just watching that brings in the revenue and viewership that was obviously merchandise sales there's you know, go, you know the purchase of tickets to go see it in the movies if it's like a feature film or you know there's just so many different ways to generate revenue for for a show or for a movie, whatever they decide to do. And this is all, of course, guys, this is all hypothetical. We're not saying this is going to happen. This is more of a funny, like, hey, what if they did sort of deal, you know, just because 
we see a few kind of cool creatures in this episode, and we've seen a few in the past, and you know, we've, we've brought them up. So who knows? Yeah, like like Chase said, it could be a live action Pokemon, and like I said, it could be very similar to like the Fantastic. Be- it'd be like Fantastic Beasts meets Pokemon. You know, honestly, like that'd be, <laughs> yeah, be kind cool. of exactly exactly what it is. It's just the big question is: does, does the revenue generated outweigh the budget it would take to create the show or film? Because I'm sure it would take a lot with the amount of CGI you need to use to put these creatures on screen. So. I don't know, what do you think in terms of the budget versus revenue ratio here? Yeah, man, and then you can do like a crossover with Rocket and the Guardians of the Galaxy that go help the Jedi to take them down. They just come in on that spaceship. I was fucking with you. No, I think think it'd be cool, man. I think it'd be really cool. I think you'd have to do kind of, think about it this way, and this is a very kind of outlandish, out there uh, comparison, but when The Witcher first started, I mean, think about it. We saw some really cool monsters there with Geralt. Uh, so clearly there's an audience for that that would like to see that. I think you would have to have... Uh, I think you have to take it to a degree, though. You would have to have an interesting plot point develop versus just like someone walking around fighting monsters like Skyrim or Elden Ring, right? Like At that point, just make it like a video game, but... But uh, there's an audience for that. So I think it could be really cool. Honestly, like, you know what's funny, too, is we kind of, like, rag on it. Like, who knows? Maybe that would suck. But I feel like I would be kind of the person, like, to flip that on and be like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, I'm watching it next week. <laughs> like, if it's on a streaming service or something, that's the perfect audience for that. Like, maybe don't put that in a theater. But, like, a streaming series, like, that would be perfect. I think it's a great idea, man. Yeah, man. Anything else that you got for this one before we close out today? No, man. I'll let you close us out and uh, cheers to another week. You got it, my man. All right, guys. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed what you heard and you stick around. And, of course, if you have been following us from the beginning, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. Uh, With the podcast here and how you can tune in and listen to us, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, we're on Google Play. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're on YouTube. We even have our own site as well, ridiculouspromos.blogspot.com, where you can listen in on. Like I said, anywhere you get your podcasts, we're there. In terms of the social media, where you can follow along and kind of get cool updates and visually see uh, what we're doing outside of just the the episodes that we put out here on the platform you know we do have an, an instagram at official ridiculous patronus we also have a tiktok at ridiculous patronus we have a backup instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy backup tiktok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy we also do have a facebook a fan page chase and josh factor fantasy we also have the, uh, the the blog site that I mentioned as well, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We have a YouTube channel. So any sort of comments, likes, follows, subscribes, we appreciate all levels of audience engagement, so please keep that up. It was very exciting today to bring you episode four here in The Mandalorian Season 3, but we're out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.